It's now time for Trivia Tracks with yours truly, Price Robertson. Here is today's Trivia Track. This somewhat forgotten TV show was a rarity among other television series in its attempt to depict the challenges of modern-day Native Americans. Nakia, which premiered September 21st, 1974 on ABC, starred Robert Forster as Nakia Parker, a full-blooded Navajo who is deputy sheriff in the fictional New Mexico town of Concord. In the sheriff's department, he works for Sheriff Sam Jericho, played by Arthur Kennedy, as does fellow deputy sheriff Hubble Martin, portrayed by Taylor Locker, and the office secretary Irene James, played by Gloria DeHaven. Ben Reederth, portrayed by Victor Jory, is a Native American friend of Nakia's. And Half Cub, played by John Tenorio Jr., is Nakia's 12-year-old nephew. Taylor Lacker previously appeared as a deputy sheriff on the show Cades County starring Glenn Ford. Nakia is often torn between ancient tribal customs and the use of modern police methods. Rather than use a police car, he alternates between driving a pickup truck and riding a horse while investigating cases. Sometimes inscrutable and prone to voicing tribal proverbs, Nakia is deeply committed to protecting his fellow Native Americans from injustice. And at times, this leads to opposition from his more narrow-minded white neighbors, including Sheriff Jericho. According to series star Robert Forster, the show was supposedly inspired by the popular movie character Billy Jack. Even Tom Lachlan, the beloved Billy Jack himself, threatened a lawsuit over alleged similarities. The show's made-for-TV pilot movie aired April 17, 1974, with its weekly series premiere later in the fall. But the show suffered low ratings in the face of tough competition and its time slot from CBS's Carol Burnett show. The 13th and last episode aired December 28, 1974. Question. Who is William Fritz Aflis? Well, those of you who consider wrestling a guilty pleasure probably know him as Dick the Bruiser. Born in Delphi, Indiana in 1929, he moved to Indianapolis when his mother got a job there during World War II. Aflis played football during his freshman and sophomore years for Short Ridge High School in Indianapolis. After his mother lost her job, the family moved back to Delphi. He played for football's Green Bay Packers as a lineman, where he got his gravelly voice from an injury to his larynx. He started wrestling in Chicago in 1955 under the Dick the Bruiser moniker where he faced Vern Gagne, who also trained him, and Luthes. From then into the late 1950s, Dick the Bruiser wrestled live every Thursday on TV in the Detroit area. His typical opponent was, quote, an up-and-coming young unknown wrestler who would be pulverized by the Bruiser. In November of 1957, Dick and Dr. Jerry Graham engaged in a tag team match against Antonino Rocca and Edouard Carpentier at Madison Square Garden. Following the match, a fight amongst the wrestlers ensued, which descended into a riot when a number of other fans joined in. Graham, Rocca, and Carpentier were fined $1,000, while Dick the Bruiser was banned for life by the New York State Athletic Commission. Dick the Bruiser went on to wrestle for the World Wrestling Association, which had a working agreement with Vern Gagne's AWA. With his charisma and NFL notoriety, Dick the Bruiser was something of a hero to the people of his native Indianapolis. In fact, another Indianapolis native, in the form of David Letterman, named his TV show's band the world's most dangerous band, as a derivation of Dick the Bruiser's nickname, the world's most dangerous wrestler. 
After giving up his in-ring career in 1989, he served as a color commentator for the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. He died of internal bleeding November 10, 1991, according to a spokesman for Suncoast Hospital in Largo, Florida, near his winter home. His widow Louise said her husband had been weightlifting at home with his adopted son John Carney and ruptured a blood vessel in his esophagus. His son-in-law wrestles as Dick the Bruiser Jr. in the independent circuit. As of 2020, he still wrestles at 68. Sunday morning public affairs programming has been a part of television since its early days. In 1947, NBC launched Meet the Press, the longest-running show in TV history. And in 1954, CBS introduced Face the Nation. ABC finally jumped on the bandwagon in 1960 with the birth of Issues and Answers. It featured TV reporters interviewing selected newsmakers, mostly government officials, domestic and foreign. Unlike the other Sunday talk shows, which featured newspaper and radio reporters, along with TV correspondents, issues and answers more commonly featured just ABC News correspondents. Among the show's moderators included Howard K. Smith and Bob Clark. For its entire run, it was produced by Peggy Wayden, one of ABC's first female correspondents. Not only that, Issues and Answers was the also-ran in the Sunday morning ratings race, lagging far behind Meet the Press and Face the Nation. By 1981, Rune Arledge, then president of ABC News, felt Issues and Answers had run its course, describing it as some boring Sunday ghetto program. So he lured David Brinkley from NBC to revitalize Sunday chat shows with the advent of This Week with David Brinkley. That continues today without him. Everybody has heard of Albert Einstein, and everybody knows a handful of things about him. The only problem, they don't know the whole truth about those facts. It's one of those common factoids that's most often repeated as words of comfort in times of failure or to kids having trouble in school. Hey, so you got to see in English and you want to be a writer, it might go. But even Einstein failed math and he went on to become the greatest scientist ever. The story behind it isn't true. As a young student, Einstein was a decent student. But his genius level abilities started to emerge around age 11. By that point, he was reading college level textbooks and was fascinated with physics. The notion that he failed math probably comes from how he did fail a math heavy entrance exam to get into Zurich Polytechnic. But he can explain. He took it two years early and it was in French, a language in which Einstein was not particularly fluent. He didn't contribute any science, but he did think an atom bomb might be a good idea. In the right hands. In 1939, Einstein heard that Nazi scientists had learned how to split the uranium atom. A huge step in harnessing atomic energy for use in terrifying military weaponry. Thoroughly frightened that Hitler could have used nuclear weapons, Einstein wrote a letter to President Franklin Roosevelt about his concerns, urging him to make sure that the Allies developed the atom bomb before the Nazis could. However, Einstein was an outspoken pacifist with extreme left-wing political beliefs and was never granted the proper security clearances to be part of the bomb-building Manhattan Project. For more amazing trivia, check out the Trivia Tracks podcast at thewatchatallpodcast.com. Till next time, I'm Price Robertson. Amazed by today's trivia? Then join me every Monday through Friday morning for Trivia Tracks on Fox Sports Camden 97.1.